Well, today we're concluding our series through the book of Ruth. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. We'll be in the fourth chapter of Ruth and, and finishing our series. Before we dive into the text, let me pray for us once again. Father God, thank you for just the opportunity to be here. And Lord, as we just sang, we thank you for your grace. That we're saved by grace alone. That it's not some sort of marriage between our good works and your good works. But it's solely your one glorious great work that has saved us. Turned us from enemies to beloved children of God. It's your grace that preserves us in this life. Even in our failings, you, you hold us. You hold us in your grip. You hold us in your loving hand. And Lord, we have this promise that it's by grace and grace alone that will carry us to the end. Lord, we just thank you for the goodness of your grace this morning. Lord, as we look at the, the price or the cost of redemption today, may redemption be beautiful to us. May we understand it maybe in a fresh way today of not only what Boaz did for Ruth, but what you have done for us. And as a result of, of seeing the glories of redemption, may we then receive even greater blessings from redemption. May we understand it and see it and then be able to receive all the blessings that come from being in your family. So Lord, now give us eyes to see the truth of your word. May your spirit come and, and just illuminate these truths, encourage us where we need encouragement, convict us where we need conviction, but in the end, give us the eyes of faith to see the glories of the gospel. Lord, to that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I'd simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, love costs, right? However, when it does, doesn't it become more beautiful and more heroic and more inspiring? You see, when you love someone, it's going to cost you something, right? So if you're a friend, it's going to cost you peace and comfort when you have to step in and bear one another's burdens. If you get married, it might cost you some of your career goals. Where before, you had a career that was all about you and all about these goals that you wanted all about these things that made you happy, but now you're married and you need to put your spouse ahead of you. If you have children, it's going to cost you your schedule. It's no longer just about you and the fun that you want to have. It's about going to their games. It's about their sleep schedules. It's about all of these different things that affect them. When we love, it means that funerals are more painful, right? So it costs us something. Love costs uh, the Saturday before Father's Day on 2019, there's a young dad named Chris, and he was uh, walking with his son Ashton. He's a three-year-old little boy, and they were walking on this bridge over a river in their town. And as they were walking, uh, Ashton, just a, a curious little toddler, kind of wiggled away out of his dad's hand, and he got to the edge of the, the bridge, and he fell off into the river. Chris instinctively just dove into the river after his son. And by God's grace, he was able to find his son, grab his son. And even though the current was taking him down, he was able to kind of get closer to the shore, keep his head above water. There were people all around trying to help him. There was a lady on the shore. He got Ashton to the shore safely and out of the water. But then the water carried him on, and, and Chris drowned that day, the day before Father's Day. His father told a, a news, or his uh, brother told a news reporter 
that Chris loved his kids more than life itself. Everyone says it, but he proved it. Love costs. But when it does, it makes it even more heroic and inspiring and beautiful. That's a terrible story, right? Terrible way to start. But dads, there's a beauty to that story, right? There's something really heroic and inspiring about that story. Here's my point. The beauty of redemption is tied to the cost of redemption. We're here at the end of our study of Ruth, here in Ruth 4, and this story finally closes with the promised redemption. The Redeemer is going to redeem. However, what I want you to see initially is, is that it's going to cost him something, but the cost of redemption is connected to the beauty of the moment. Redemption is not cheap. And you know that significant redemption always costs something significant. But the cost, again, is connected to the beauty of it. If you're new with us, as we've said about the book of Ruth, is that this is a beautiful short story. This is like all short stories in that there's kind of layers to it. If you think of maybe some of the great short stories you've read as a, as a student, sometimes those stories just kind of stick to you, don't they? Like the more you circle them, the more profound they become. And, and the more you think about them, the greater treasures you mine from them. Ruth is, is similar. And the more you ponder it, the more treasures you're going to discover. Ruth is also set during the period of Judges. So this is before the kings and the monarchy in Israel was established. And, it, and it's this time of, of kind of unrest. It's a time of chaos and, and moral decay. And, and in fact, that's kind of the headlines of the period. If you want to sum up the book of Judges and the period of Judges, it's kind of this even gross spiraling down to this awful moral decay. Chaos and moral decay. That's what grabs the headlines, if you will, of the period of the Judges. But Ruth is kind of set in contrast to that. Ruth is not about the headlines. It's not about all the chaos going around it. This story is about ordinary people doing ordinary things. You see, why all this craziness is going on around them, you have these ordinary, faithful people kind of keeping their heads down, doing what ordinary, faithful, righteous people do. However, Ruth highlights how God works in the ordinary. All this other stuff is going on and God is working in it. But then you have these ordinary people living ordinary lives, and God is working in the ordinary. We've said that when we're playing checkers, God's playing three-dimensional chess. So you might just think, I'm just taking my kids to school. I'm just going off to work. But God is doing something more profound in all those moments. The contrast between Judges and Ruth helps us see the theme of the book of Ruth, which is that God promises to love His family. So even though all this immorality is going on around them, God is faithful to love his family. Even though there's all these twists and turns of famine and death and all these things that happen, in the end, God proves faithful to his promise, to his covenant promise to love his family. And the way he does it is through redemption. And again, there's a, a cost to redemption. We're going to see kind of four movements in this story. The first one is about um, how our Redeemer purchases a family of outcasts. Then we're going to see how he pays the price, then how he blesses, and then how he loves his family. Let's start with verses 1 to 6, and our Redeemer purchases a family of outcasts. Starting in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down, and he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, 
is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the death, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Notice that the author goes to great lengths not to name the other Redeemer. His name is never mentioned here. And in fact, if you think about it, he could have gone down as, as a real somebody in this story, right? But he comes down in history really as, as a nobody. And, and kind of the irony is, is he's actually worried about his inheritance. He's worried about his name being passed down. But his name is not passed down. The, the, uh, some have said that the Hebrew and how uh, this is described is, is it's, it's kind of understood as his, they're kind of calling him Mr. So-and-so. So here's Mr. So-and-so had an opportunity to be somebody, but he ends up being a nobody. But, but Boaz's approach is pretty brilliant, right? Like he'd be a great salesman, I think. Like, like he starts with, with dangling the carrot in front of the deal. He, he lays out to Mr. So-and-so all the benefits. This is this can't-miss real estate deal. And Mr. So-and-so, he's quickly kind of calculating up all the profits, right? And his focus is upon himself, his profits, his inheritance, and all these different things. That's where his focus is. But Boaz then shares the other side of the deal. And all of a sudden, Mr. So-and-so, he concludes, that okay, this cost too much. You see, his focus was on taking care of himself, not taking care of this old lady and this widow. This is about he and his family. Worse, he could lose his legacy. And as it kind of explains here, that, that uh, if he takes on this land, he's not only taking on Ruth, who, who was married to Mahalon, and not only taking on Naomi, but, but then there's this, this aspect of the inheritance that happens here. Now, in, in the Bible, there are examples of polygamy, where, where, there's multiple, where a man has multiple wives. It's never God's best. It's never the ideal. And typically, when you read stories of it, it doesn't work out very well for obvious reasons, right? So no doubt this man also in this deal, and he hears about Ruth, he's thinking about how this is going to affect his home life. And he quickly calculates, okay, this costs too much. There's too much cost in this. But Boaz knows all the cost as well, right? Like he knows what the land is going to cost. He knows what it's going to cost to, to take in Naomi and Ruth into his house. He, he knows the effects of the law and how it's going to affect his inheritance, but he's willing to bear the cost. He's willing to pay the ransom. See, Boaz is coming at this from a perspective of a, of a charitable heart. He's done the calculations as well, but he's willing to pay the cost of redemption. And it's going to cost him something. It's going to cost him happiness. It's certainly going to cost him money. It's going to cost him legacy. But Boaz has a redeemer's perspective. Boaz is willing to purchase a family of outcasts. And don't forget, these two ladies are outcasts, right? Like here, when it got, when it got hard with God's people, what, what did Naomi do? She, she ran away. That wasn't a faithful thing. And, and then she comes back with this, this uh, Moabite daughter-in-law. She, she let her, her, her sons marry a, a non-Jewish woman. 
So both of them are here kind of existing on the fringes of society. And if you're new to the story, then in, in these earlier chapters, the only way they're able to live is to kind of uh, do this kind of uh, you know, Jewish Israel welfare system thing that was going on where they were kind of giving them some extra food just to live. These ladies are living on the fringes of society. They're not going to profit Boaz. They're going to be a burden to Boaz. And he knows that he, he's counting the cost. They're going to cost him something. But the Redeemer is willing to pay the ransom in order to bear the cost for the outcast. But Boaz is a kinsman redeemer as the Hebrew. So in some sense, he's related to them, right? He's a kinsman. He's redeeming, but there's kind of a line of relationships here. So what's going on here is he's taking, the, taking these two ladies, not only just from the fringes of society, but from the fringes of his family and bringing them close in. So, so he's taking them from the fringes and taking them into his family. And again, he's paying, he's willing to pay the cost of that. He's willing to pay the ransom. Mr. So-and-so is focused on the land, but Boaz was focused on the people. Boaz is, was purchasing land, but ultimately he's purchasing Ruth and Naomi. So in summary, even though they were vulnerable, even though they were living on the fringes of polite society, even though he wasn't going to profit from them, he brings them from outcast into his family. Boaz purchased for redemption an outcast to make them part of his family. What a redeemer. Isn't this a good place to stop? What a redeemer. What, what a great sacrifice that he makes here, right? Now, as we've said throughout, this is not ultimately about just this family. It points to a greater family. It points to a greater redemption. Boaz is a Christ-like figure. And this story all over the place bridges to the gospel, bridges to Christ. If you're a Christian and you see this word redeemer, boy, your little antennas are going off, right? Like you know about another redeemer. And we're supposed to see that. We're supposed to look back and see this story through the lens of the gospel. So we were also outcast, right? We were enslaved to sin. We were outside the people of God. We, were, we had no righteousness that we could contribute uh, to our salvation. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what our Redeemer has accomplished for us. That's how He has redeemed us. He's sacrificed as well. It's cost Him something. It cost Him His life. But He saved us to something, but something better than what Ruth and Naomi experienced. Jesus also redeemed outcasts to his family. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Friend, our Redeemer purchased us to be part of a family. You moved from outcast to family. You were far off and he brought you close. You were an enemy of God and he made you a beloved child of God. Isn't that glorious? Like, listen, you should admire Boaz. I greatly admire Boaz, but you worship Jesus. He's purchased a family of outcasts. Amen? Isn't that what we are here today? Second, our Redeemer pays the price. Look at verses 7 to 12. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chelion and Mahalon. 
Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Maelon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath in the renowned, and, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. The two men do kind of an ancient form of a handshake. They take off their sandals, which was the custom. There's also this, this quorum of witnesses who validate the deal. Boaz was a, he was a man of means and he was caring for these weak and vulnerable ladies. And, and Boaz, he would pay the price. He would purchase the land. He would redeem Ruth. He would redeem Naomi. He would bring them into his family. She became his wife. Naomi became his mother-in-law. However, he, was, uh, he would uh, keep paying a redeeming price because in some sense, this now affects his legacy. The inheritance lines, these names of Elimelech and Mahalon, they need to be preserved in this line. And he's willing to even do that. So even this price of redemption, it's going to cost him, if you will, into perpetuity. It's going to cost him a legacy. But immediately, the witnesses understood what was going on here. Like maybe we don't understand customs like taking off sandals and, okay, what does it mean to bring in you know, a widowed husband in this line and all this and that? Maybe we don't understand these customs. But the people did, and you know what they did? They sing praises about it. Like they're watching what's going on. They understand the cost of what Boaz is doing. They understand what he's doing, that, that these women are in a very vulnerable situation. They're not going to profit him, but he takes them in, and so they sing praises to this couple. They bless them. There's this benediction where, where they pray blessings and prosperity and prominence over this young couple. They realize what this what glorious thing is happening here. That we're not, maybe we're lost in the culture, but but they're not. You see, this section highlights the, the steep price that Boaz played, that, that he paid, and it validated by the crowd's response, that this is a glorious thing. This is a beautiful thing. This is an inspiring thing. This is a heroic thing to the degree that their instinctive response is to sing praises to him for it. But again, Boaz is, is really ultimately a, a Christ-like figure. Jesus also paid the price for our redemption. It's inspiring. It's glorious. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish. You see, the, the beauty of Boaz's redemption is the steep price that he was willing to pay for Ruth. But Jesus paid a steeper price. His redemption is even more beautiful, and everything that follows is more beautiful. You see, Boaz paid money, but this passage says that Jesus paid with his blood. Where Boaz is this good man, a righteous man, First Peter says that Jesus was the lamb without blemish and spot. He became this eternal sacrifice for us. Ruth was ransomed from being on the fringes of society, of, of being impoverished in society, but we're ransomed to something uh, so much greater. We were in bondage to our sin, under the penalty of sin, and we've been ransomed out of that. Our Redeemer paid the price. He gave you so much more, and He loves you enough to die for you. Isn't that glorious? Boaz is to be praised but Jesus is to be worshipped. 
Look at the next section. Our Redeemer blesses, 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her a conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The crowds praised and blessed Boaz for his redemption. And now God himself blesses. Much of the book of Ruth, it emphasizes the virtuous deeds of Ruth and Boaz. And, and some have even argued that, that God's really not much of a character in this story. But, but that's not true because of this final section. Notice here that, that, that who gets the credit here? God is the one who blesses Ruth and Boaz. God is the one who has, who has uh, given them this son. Even the ladies around them in Bethlehem, they understood that God is the one to be praised. God is the one who gets the credit. God is the one who blessed Ruth and Naomi. This short story kind of bounces around to, to different characters, like a, like a really good, interesting story. I think it's rightly named Ruth because I think she is the main character. But, but if you remember at the beginning of the story, Naomi's really the focus, right? Ruth is not the focus at the beginning in chapter 1. And then here at the end, Ruth is not the focus either. Naomi is once again the focus. So there's this bookend that happens in the story where it begins with the plight of Naomi, but then it ends with the redemption and the blessing of Naomi. You see, her husband had died and she was aging, but God has blessed her with new life. You see, she had been outside the family of God, but then God has brought her home. She was hungry and God blessed her with food. Her loving sons had died, but God blessed her with the loyal love of a wonderful, worthy daughter-in-law. She had been an outcast, but then God had blessed her with redemption, this new family. Ruth 4.16 is one of the most awkward, uncomfortable, weird verses in all the Bible. It raises a whole host of questions that I don't want to ask in a, on a Sunday morning sermon. All I'm going to say is what you think is going on there, I think is what's going on there, Okay. Here's the point, though. The point of that verse is, and, and of this section really, is, is that Naomi originally was stuck in these bitter feelings. She felt like her life was over. She was as good as dead. But God redeemed her, and he blessed her with new life. Our Redeemer blesses. He redeems, paying the price in order to bless. And friends, our Redeemer still blesses. Redemption brings blessing. He, he paid the price in order to bless. The, the blessings are greater than anything this world has to offer. That, that's the real crime and the tragedy of the health, wealth, prosperity movement. They talk about blessing in like these, these earthly ways. The gospel offers something better than all that. It offers us something better than health, wealth, and prosperity. It offers us these eternal things. It offers us abundant life that is better than anything this world has to offer. It offers us the abundant life of peace that passes understanding. It, it offers us the abundant life of hope and eternity, even on our darkest days. It offers us the abundant life of purpose and mission. When the rest of the world is just tossed to and fro by the circumstances of life and the, and the whims of the moment, the gospel gives us clarity on the ways that we should go. Our Redeemer blesses, and He paid the price in order to bless. 
But I want you to notice a few more things in this passage. First, whose son is Obed? Is he Boaz's son? Is he Ruth's son? Is he Elimelech's son? Is he Naomi's son? The answer is yes. God has blessed them all with Obed. Also notice that God does this through the faithfulness of Boaz and Ruth. They are these glorious examples of righteousness. God has worked through these ordinary faithful people to do something extraordinary. Boaz was a a man of character, of just righteous faithfulness. He protected, he provided. He he didn't separate his work life from his you know, from his religious life. He, he, he brought his, his faith, his, he brought the word of God into his work. He, he had the opportunity to take advantage of Ruth that night on the threshing floor, but, but he remained pure. He didn't try to twist and contort God's word to fit his agenda. Like, listen, his agenda was he, he wanted to marry her. And maybe that night he could have wiggled things around to just take her as his wife, but he didn't do that. He, he faithfully followed the customs and, and the law of God, and he went through you know, all this process in order to redeem her. Like, listen, let's understand this. Mr. So-and-so, he could have said yes. He could have redeemed her, and that probably would have broken Boaz's heart, but he was going to do things the right way. Let me say it this way. If, if Boaz was in our church, we'd be recruiting him to be a community group leader and an elder. He was a godly man. He was a righteous man. Ladies, if you're looking for a husband, look for a man like Boaz. But but Ruth is full of character as well, right? She's this worthy woman. This this great statement in that opening chapter of loyal love. She's willing to sacrifice for those that she's loved. If you go back to that great statement, that pledge she makes to Naomi, she fulfills it, doesn't she? she? She is true to that pledge. She stuck around even when it was hard. She worked hard. Hear what I'm about to say here carefully. She was humble and submissive, even to the point of being willing to risk. Isn't that a weird paradox? Like she's humble and submissive, but not some sort of mousy way. She risks it all. She has very bold faith, but she does it grounded in that humility and submissiveness. She gave so much to Naomi, including a grandson, who at some level became the son that Naomi had lost. We would be recruiting her for leadership if she was here. She was a righteous woman. Men, if you're looking for a wife, look for a woman like Ruth. Their union is perfect, right? This is a great love story. This is a perfect love story. There's twists and turns. We're having to wait on something. There's tension that's built. These two are not catches in their day. They each had things that their culture and the people around them kind of ranked them maybe a little lower. He was too old. She was a Moabite. But yet even in all those things and the twists and the turns and the waiting and the challenges and the cultural pressure, all of that just proves their virtue. Like even though all those challenges are there, all that brokenness is there, that just makes them more lovely, doesn't it? Like this is a beautiful story because of their failings. Through it all, we fall in love with this couple. There's a romance to this redemption. It has cost something, but it's beautiful. But, but the blessing actually only gets better. Go back to Ruth 4.14. Notice who the kinsman redeemer is in that verse. Who is being referenced there? Who is the kinsman redeemer there? It's not Boaz. Those ladies come around and, and sing about a kinsman redeemer, but it's not Boaz. Who are they singing about? They're singing about Obed. 
They're singing about this baby, Obed. He's the kinsman redeemer that the women praise God for. But what has he done? How is he a kinsman redeemer? He hasn't done anything. How is baby Obed a kinsman redeemer? Well, friends, we are now at the climax of this story. Our Redeemer loves His family. Look at 18 to 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amabinadab. Amabinadab fathered Nason. Nason fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Our Redeemer loves his family. And baby Obed was, in fact, a Redeemer. You see, God uses these faithful, ordinary people, Boaz and Ruth, in order to do this great and glorious thing. There's a, there's a micro-redemption that happens here. But really, it's, it's just like, it's like breadcrumbs that are, that are pointing to this greater redemption. Listen, the story ends with this messianic bomb that just went off. You see, every good Israelite knew the glorious stories of David. Like the, the book of Ruth is just, is, is just one more little nugget of evidence of how God is working through David in a unique way. David was not the people's choice to be their king, but he was God's choice. He was the last son that the father even forgot about, but, but the prophet through God through the prophet called him to be the king. And then he was overlooked. He was very fallen, but he was this genuine lover of God. But in the end, God promised 2 Samuel 7.13 that I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, God promised to establish an eternal Davidic king. That is the most clear messianic prophecy that there is. David dies. His son dies. But God has promised this king and this kingdom. All that points to the Messiah. Friends, listen. With your modern eyes, you probably just see another boring Old Testament genealogical list with weird names. But the original readers, they saw all sorts of significance just packed in here in these names. This is something more than just a boring list of a record of names. The original Israelites, they would read this and understand that this itself, this genealogy is the good news of the book. You see, like us, they would love this as a love story. The first people who read this book, they were like you and me. They would have found this interesting, filled with tension and intrigue, these kind of strange twists and turns. Like they would, we would, they are like us where they, we would all just be sucked in. Like, like, like they would be like those crowds singing blessings to this couple. In other words, like us, they would have fallen in love with Ruth and Boaz. This is a great love story. They would have been sucked in right there. But like us, at this point, their hearts would be warned by loyal faithfulness, by sacrificial love, by redemption, redeeming uh, these two ladies out of the fringes of society. They would just be warmed in the same way that we are. However, they, they would get to this point and their minds would be blown. They would say, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Boaz, Ruth, all that, wait, wait a second. You're saying Obed, like the Obed that is, that is the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. That Obed? Wait a second. Like the story would end with this nuclear bomb going off where they would realize, wait a second, this thing is not just about a cute love story. This thing is not just about how to live a virtuous life and be a godly man and be a godly woman. There's something way more profound going on here. This is all leading up to the Messiah. 
There's something way more glorious about the redemption that is explained here. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the, the book of Ruth is ultimately about how a redeemer promises to love his family. And it's one more little gospel breadcrumb that helps us see the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. That's the point of this book. That's the point of this genealogy at the end of pointing ultimately with David, which then leads us straight to Christ. There's something more profound than a beautiful love story. You see, we were outcasts just like Ruth. We were in poverty just like Ruth. Jesus gave us abundant grace just like Boaz gave. Jesus covered us just like Boaz covered Ruth. Jesus redeemed us just like Boaz did. Our redemption cost Jesus something just like it cost Boaz something. We, we experienced redemption when Jesus fulfilled the law just how, how Boaz went through all the rules and fulfilled the law. He did it the right way. Jesus did it the right way. Jesus uh, uh, brought us into a family just like Boaz brought Ruth into his family. We experienced life where we had previous only experienced death, just like Ruth experienced, our Redeemer loves his family and our Redeemer promises to love his family. Isn't that glorious? Are you seeing all these gospel connections that are going on here? Let me close with just kind of three admonitions for you. Number one, understand the cost of redemption. Redemption is not cheap and it's not easy. We live in a moment, like most moments throughout the history of the world, that, that winks at sin, right? But like we, we wink at sin. And in fact, the greatest sin in our culture is judging sin. <laughs> like it's more appropriate to walk in sin than to actually call somebody out for their sin, right? Like that's the great sin, is actually judging someone on their sin. Therefore, related to that, we think redemption is just kind of owed us. Like redemption is not that great because the problem really isn't that bad. And so the, re, the solution really isn't that good. So, so we view forgiveness as really cheap. We, we view it as really easy. However, the longer you live, the more you sin and the more people sin against you, you start bearing the scars of sin, right? And when you're called to forgive, that becomes a lot harder, doesn't it? I don't know about you, and I know some of you are, are pious people and you're quick to forgive, but man, I wish I was more like you. Forgiveness is hard, Right? Forgiveness costs something. Forgiveness is not easy. When we need to redeem, we know it costs. Boaz didn't just take the land and take Ruth to be his wife. He did it in the costly way. He satisfied the law. He paid the price. In a similar way, Jesus didn't just wink at sin and give everyone these cheap hugs as if he's some sort of cosmic Santa Claus, and our redemp- but our redemption cost Jesus something. Understand that your redemption is beautiful because it costs Jesus everything. That's what's glorious about it. But second, see the love in the redemption. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' costly uh, redemption comes from his loving heart. His, his instinct is to love you. That's his desire out of that love, he, he, bears the, uh, he bears the cost of your redemption. He frees you from the bondage of sin, from the eternal penalty of your sin. But he does it because he loves you. Like Ruth saw in Boaz's redemption, we see love in Jesus' redemption. Amen? Number three, experience the blessing of redemption. 
You see, Ruth went from an outcast to this beloved wife and this mother. She experienced all sorts of blessings from this redemption, right? She was moved from the fringes to a family. She was never going to go hungry again. She received blessing from redemption, and you can too. You've moved from outcast to family. You were an enemy, and now you're a beloved child of God. However, many settle for a shallow faith. You settle for a shallow faith. You don't get to experience these blessings. You see, those who settle for just checking religious boxes, periodically showing up, not living sacrificially, not really understanding their identity in Christ, not really dwelling with Him, they miss on these blessings. You see, shallow Christians miss out on so many blessings of redemption. But Ruth did it differently. Ruth burned the ships, didn't she? Like when she left Moab, she left it all. Like she left her old country, she committed herself to loyal love, not knowing where it was going to lead her. That inner accountant calculating everything up, oh, I do this and I get this and I get this. None of that was going on in, in Ruth's heart. She risked everything. She trusted God with everything. And it led to this beautiful redemption story, a story for the ages. She got to experience all these blessings because she burned the ships and she went hard after the Lord. Friend, burn the ships. Burn the ships of whatever is holding you back in order to experience the blessings of redemption. Redemption cost. But I pray you see the beauty of the cost so that you can experience the blessings of the cost. Friend, do you love your Redeemer? And do you love your redemption? Let me close with an old hymn. You might have remembered Redeemed. I love to proclaim it. It goes like this. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child, and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever I am. Can you sing that song? Receive the blessing of His redemption. Like Ruth, we have a Redeemer. He was willing to fulfill the law. He was willing to pay the price so that you can experience the blessing of redemption. Friend, no matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter what the world tells you, no matter how big of a mess you've made it, God promises to love His family. What a story. Amen? And what a redemption. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for the, the ordinary faithfulness of these people. Lord, may their story, as heroic and beautiful and inspiring that it is, may we not ultimately be inspired by Boaz, but may we ultimately see how Boaz and this redemption and this story points to you and to the good news of the gospel. May our redemption be sweeter to our souls from this story. Or may we see redemption not as just this thing we talk about at church, but this thing that we've received from you that is the greatest thing that we have. And may it flow into every area of our life to the degree that we just experience eternal blessings here and now as a result of it. Father, we praise your eternity for, eternity for promising to love us. 
for promising to bring us into your family. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray.